Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavors, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 27. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is singer-songwriter Tyne James Organ. The Wollongong native has released his fantastic new single, Sunday Suit, ahead of his forthcoming debut record. In today's episode, we talk about the raw nature of his lyrics, literally dancing your troubles away, and the power of the Alabama shakes. Here we go. Our guest today is one of Australia's brightest upcoming singer-songwriters. He's announced his forthcoming debut record, entitled Necessary Evil, and has just released his fantastic new single, Sunday Suit. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Tyne James Organ. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you today? Good. I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Now, congratulations on the the new single, Sunday Suit. Uh, It is out now and it is uh, gaining quite a bit of attention on Triple J and and on radio. It's quite a popular song. Um, Where did the the song come from? Um, The song came from, I mean... All my songs come from that kind of same crux of being, it's all about my life, like any situation or experience I've gone through. And this particular one was just, there was a time about 18 months ago that I was just feeling a bit low after love as, as it always is. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I was just kind of sitting in my bathroom and I put my headphones in and I felt a bit sad and a bit funny. So I just started dancing. And I just put some music on, just started dancing. And then it just kind of gave me this idea that like when I went to bed that night, I felt just a little bit better. And I was like, maybe there's something in the idea of dancing your troubles away. Um, And then it wasn't until probably six months later that I jumped into the studio with Lachlan Bostock and Gab Strum. And it came to my head again, straight away that it was like, all right, let's do this today. And then I just kind of honed in on that emotion and feeling and it, it really fell out quite quick um i wrote the second verse probably a week later because so i weirdly write my verses they're kind of the last bits of the puzzle for me um especially that second verse and then yeah it just fell out and it just you know the chorus the chorus hit first um and I, I felt really confident within that and then there's this one there's actually a lyric in this song that's probably my favorite lyric off the album and it's called you shouldn't board a boat when it's bound to sink and now so many people thus far <laughs> that i've um had have messaged me since um releasing this song have said like shouldn't bought as in like buying a boat or something but it's <laughs> you shouldn't like just get on one so more or less the metaphor there is like don't get on it if it's 
going to go to shit. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, um, bit of fun and that. And, um, but yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's emotional. It's got everything there like that, but, um, it's got a bit of positivity in the message with it as well. So yeah. As you just mentioned, the song was written by Lachlan from Mansion Air and Gab Strum, who some people might know as Japanese wallpaper. Yep. How did that kind of, um, collaboration or, or meeting of the three of you kind of take place? Um, I think it was all like, I've known Gab actually for quite some time just through living in Melbourne, mutual friends and everything like that and being on the touring circuit, but I'd never met Lachlan before. And then all in all, Gab and I had just been wanting to do a session and he, he late like early last year, I should say, sorry. Um, just organized this week and flew Lachlan down and they were just doing sessions every day. And, um, uh, Gab just hit me up and said, Hey, do you want to come and, and do a session one day? And we just got in and it was just such a vibe straight away. I don't, I haven't done many sessions with three people in the room before. Um, but it was really cool. We all kind of came from different worlds and things like that. And all just like fused our ideas together in that. And then, yeah, as I said, it, it fell out really quick, but it felt really strong from the get go. Um, but I mean, they're, they're a talent as you know, with himself. So it was always going to be a, a fun session, that one. Yeah, of course. I can um, I can only imagine what kind of might have happened uh, <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> um, the, the song, uh, it's like reminiscent of uh, like the war on drugs and there's a little bit of Springsteen there as well. And it kind of sounds like the you always had like a full band sound on, on the previous releases, but this almost is kind of like a, a next step up. Was there a, um, the intention to kind of ex- sonically expand for, for this new record, for the new album? Yeah. Yeah, very much. Um, you know, I feel like we're all growing every single day, every song I write and that that's, I just feel there's growth there. And yeah, with the album sonically, you know, the EP, was really, you know, it had some cool dynamics and that in there, had some real like chill moments and then some rocky moments and that too. But with this, it was like, okay, it's time to be, I've, I've matured over the last few years since releasing the EP. Um, and I just felt like my, my sound, my songwriting, everything like that is maturing. So when it was time to kind of take it to my producer, Chris Collins and sit with him and flesh all these songs out for the actual record themselves, um, we just decided to let's really, you know, accent these little moments and just, you know, try a few little things. Like we've got some warped sounds and warped vocals in there that are just like samples and that, which, you know, never really done that stuff before. Um, And yeah, it was really fun to kind of flesh that out and just kind of let it be, you know? So, yeah. Uh, The, the new record is entitled necessary evil. Um, Where did the, the, the title come from? Um, so the title came from a conversation with my mom early last year and like my mom and I had best friends. We're so close tell each other everything. And this particular conversation actually was about my car that had been kind of carking in at the time. And, um, you know, a car's, you need it. It's, it's a necessity, but it's still going to be evil because it's going to break down at times and it's going to cost you a lot of money. And I kind of like related that to a lot of like lo- different life situations. And in my world, personally, it's uh, love, you know, like I love love more than anything, but it's evil because <laughs> it's the one thing I can't control my own mind r- around it and anything like that. Um, so I have this weird battle with that and it just kind of, you know, it felt right from the initial kind of spark. I just kind of wrote it down. 
then once I told my team, they all hated it, which kind of made me love it even more because, <laughs> you know, I had the idea that it's like, if I've made a good album, I could name it something like shoe or door or whatever. And you know, if it's a good album, it's a good album. So I feel like the title can be made into it's, you know, that, that magic thing. And then also another, another thing that kind of happened six months later was I was on a writing trip with Chris Collins and we're in Blackheath, sorry, um, which is just um, around the Blue Mountains. And we're sitting in a cafe one morning. It was a real, real lovely morning, just sitting, kind of chatting some ideas and mix notes and then talking some lyrics and that. And then this song came on on the radio, which was Unknown Mortal Orchestra's Necessary Evil. And we both just kind of, again, ah, <laughs> what a coincidence, wrote it down in our notepads. And then, yeah, when it was kind of a few months later and I was like really solidifying what the title was going to be, I just thought, screw it, I'm going to go with that. It felt right. <laughs> you know, we, we tossed and turned around a few alternatives, but at the end of the day, I just had to trust my gut. You know, it's one of those things. As I said, I really looked to that point of like, Whatever the title is, you know, the title could be the coolest thing in the world, but if it's a bad record, it's a bad record. But if the music's great, who cares about the title? It'll it'll become what it will. So, yeah, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> Very fair. I think, um, well, yeah, as you said, the music is always going to stand up, whether it's good or not, and, and we'll define it. Um, I'm curious, Did was Shu ever a contender? Was it like top five in the, in the name? <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, I just kind of looked around the room then and found a few objects that I could <laughs> name. <laughs> so no, it wasn't a contender, but <laughs> maybe, maybe album two though. <laughs> I'm going to check back in in a few years' time with album two, and if it's called Shoe, we'll, um, we'll chat. Tony, um, uh, your, your lyrics seem to kind of have this honest and almost like unapologetic nature to them. Uh, has, has it always kind of been the case where you've kind of, uh, yeah, I guess put yourself out there so so honestly? Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's, um, I'm an emotional wreck as a person. I'm like, I'm headstrong, but I'm very emotional, you know? So it's, it's heart on your sleeve and, you know, like you got to take me for what I am and that's me. So I feel like to be real and, and music, such a, an amazing platform to have and to use, but I feel like to use it and put out stories that I don't feel that don't make me feel something. How could I expect the listener to feel something and, and, you know, want to listen and, you know, go on that journey with me. So it's just, yeah, from the get go, it's always been hard on my sleeve. Um, I'm, I'm probably in the early days, actually, no, if anything, I, I probably am a little bit more cryptic now than I used to be. I was very, very straight up with my words and that. Um, <laughs> but now there's, you know, some things in there that, you know, I have my own story and that, and they'll come out over time, but I kind of also like to leave it in that just that world so the listener doesn't have to just go, oh, this is his story. I can only relate to him. I want them to listen. And if they take one of my songs that might be about death or heartbreak or something like that and take it in for new life, which has happened to me in the past, then that's, you know, I feel like I'm doing my job right, you know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Do you find it um, when you are kind of writing about whatever the subject matter may be, do you find it kind of like a almost cathartic or like, um, enlightening or well, not enlightening. That's wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe no, cathartic kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely do. Like weirdly enough, even, even though in interviews and things like that, I feel like 
I'm just in a zone there where I can talk about it. But in a day-to-day life, I kind of, you know, I do struggle to talk about my emotions and my feelings and things, but you give me a pen and paper and a guitar or a piano and give me an hour and a half, I'll tell you my life story. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one of those, it's, it's a weird, weird thing. I, I don't understand it. Like it's, but it's a thing. I don't just use it as a, you know, it's not just my job. It's not just this thing I want to do for fun. I do it purely because it helps me heal, yeah. you know? And if I can help anyone else heal, then that's just, as I said, it's my job and focus is uniting with any listener that can, you know, wants to be a part of this journey with me. It's um, it's a very interesting like perspective to take in terms of like, uh, oh, fuck, how do I say this without getting myself in trouble? Arts is obviously like we learn music or we pick up instruments and we're very lucky to do so. Like it is a, it is a, um, a blessing that we're able to do it. But yourself saying that it's like a job to be able to like, it, it helps you heal and, and helps others in a way. I'm curious, how, how did you kind of approach music or how did you get started even just in the realm of like thinking, yeah, this is what I could do? So on that, it was honestly, it's as cliche as it sounds from the get-go of my birth. I grew up, I was born, my dad was a very successful singer-songwriter and entertainer um, back in his day and watching him on stage, he took us everywhere. Myself, my sister and my mum went to all of his shows and he got us up on stage from as little as like two years old when we were walking and stuff. So that he naturally, like it wasn't ever that kind of, you know, the, uh, what do you call them? The stage parents thing where it's like, they're forcing you in. There was none of that. If anything, like later in life, it got to the point where my dad, cause he, he's a, he was a very kind of realist type of person. And he always was like, once I was coming out of high school and I knew that all I wanted to do was music. He was like, backup jobs, you know, have your trade or something like that up your sleeve. And that's where we kind of bumped heads because he, he saw that, you know, the real approach. But then I guess the, on the other side of that, like I listened to him and I was picking up these jobs, but then I think the thing that like the communication that he didn't understand there at that specific time was social media was just on its kind of boom. And so things like YouTube and that, um, and Facebook videos and all that was really just taking off. So he kind of saw it like before dad passed, he kind of saw the last bit of it, but he, um, yeah, it was just very, very evident that it was just changing the kind of that, but that that's what inspired me. And it still inspires me every day. My family, like it was always just going to be music. Like my sister had the better voice than I, so, and she still does, but, um, <laughs> that's the, she just kind of went down. She's a very business orientated person. She owns two houses and things like that. And here's me chasing the dream living with mum. So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, I know you mentioned before you're, um, back in Wollongong, not currently living in Melbourne. What is the difference? Cause you've lived in both. What's the, the difference in the scenes like when it comes to music? Um, I mean, Melbourne, Pre-COVID is just anything and everything you can imagine and want for in music. I feel like I read an article last year um, sometime that it it is like one of the most popping cities for music in the world, you know, and I just believe that. I've I've travelled a lot of the world for music and stuff and Melbourne's just my favourite. I love it. I love the culture there, the food there, everything about that. Um, But, yeah, that scene down there is just something special. Wollongong, um, on the other hand, it's kind of, 
now it's only just starting to kind of find its feet again. Back in, you know, when my parents were going through their heyday, it was kicking then. But then as it did with Sydney, it really just got pulled down. All the venues get pulled down. It still struggles. It's got barely any, like, music venues here. I think our main ones like the Unibar and stuff, which, you know, it's great, but where's the venues and that? Like the ones, even Rad Bar that we grew up with, that's been knocked down and just turned into apartments. So it lacks in that. So, I, but it, the music, like the musical talent that's in Wollongong is just, you know, there's some of the biggest acts in the country and some in the world, like that have stemmed from here and are currently here now. So yeah, it's a very beautiful place. It's just, you know, for me, it's kind of like, I grew up here, so I've just needed to see a bit more of the world and, you know, Australia. And then now coming back, it's really made me appreciate the place a lot more. And it's been great seeing my family and my friends again, you know, cause I've been away for a long time. Yeah, no, that's very fair. <laughs> um, have you have you found kind of um, being back at home and living with your mum like uh, this has it impacted your songwriting? Or have you even been songwriting while you've while you've been back at home? To be honest, I haven't. I have been writing, but not as not in my usual structure. After I finished the album in July last year, I've kind of I've been having like a bit of a reset, you know. And I, I spoke to some friends because at first I was like, shit, I got to start prepping for album two and that, but I, as I said, like, because I go so all in with my emotions within the writing and the recording process. And then just the general day to day process, I'm just all emotions. It's quite draining. So I felt like I needed to have a bit of, you know, just a reset. So I wasn't just trying to force stuff out that I wasn't feeling either. So yeah, so I've been writing, but just not on my usual. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Path, i just kind of letting the inspiration come back again, but that's been really refreshing at the same time too. And I've found in the times I'm writing, I'm not thinking as much about what I'm doing. It's kind of just naturally falling out. So um, that's been special, but different for me because, I mean, it's the first album I've ever made, so I never thought I would need such time after it. But a lot of people, you know, that try and force it, songwriters I look up to that have come out of a debut album, they've gone, all right, we're going to go straight to number two. And then they've suffered writing writer's block for like one to two years at times and that. So for me, that scares me. So I've thought, you know, got to keep, you kind of head in check and your mental side of things up and, you know, up to scratch. So your focus there and when it comes time to get back into the chaos zone of writing every day and recording every day, then, and that's when it works again, you know? So yeah, yeah, just kind of just, just cruising through. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have a preference when you are kind of writing? Is it more a, uh, I guess a lyrical kind of thing first or, is it like, is it a melody? Like where, where do you start from as a starting point and then kind of work your way into the, the track? So 
I, I kind of have this weird approach where I just will get my phone and I'll just kind of set my camera up. I like the idea of voice memos, but also I'm not the most skilled musician when it comes to like, I make up some random chords and that at times. So I like to be able to visualize whatever I've just done. So I'll just sit my camera up there and then I'll just sit there jam. And sometimes these videos are like 50 minutes. So it's a bit to dissect, but to be honest with you, like a lot of my songs just stem from that. I'll just sit there jamming and half the time it's just jibber jabber. But then, as I said, the chorus usually just will just pop out all of a sudden. And then next minute, you know, the song just starts rounding off and just going. But I remember when I was younger and, you know, I remember back in when I was like 18, frothing and cheering heaps and being like, how does he do it? Because he's such a talented songwriter. He's got to know the right way. And he writes lyrics first. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but. He writes lyrics first and then the music. And, and I tried that for, I remember, six months. And, uh, like, that's not me, you know. And, and I remember putting that pressure on myself, being like, oh, no, I've got to do it. That's how it works. And we'll do it the other way. But there's no method. It's, you know, it's all, like, you, it, each to their own very much. Like, I've got friends that will and people that will come up to me and ask me for songwriting tips or message me about stuff like that and, I say the cliche, but it's, you just got to listen to your heart. You just let it fall out. It's, it's got to fall out naturally and, and honestly, because it's when you're trying to, you know, approach it with these set like formats and things like that and have this template there. That's, this is the way that's when you confuse yourself and you just, you know, you're not treating it as this, like, I don't know the word, but just, you're not treating it honestly. That's yeah. That's probably yeah. the best way to put it. No, so. I, I very much kind of get what you're saying, and I feel that that is, um, that is conveyed in your music. Like it does come across as quite genuine, which um, not everyone I feel has the um, the the talent to do so. So, um, that, that's kudos to yourself for that. Yeah, bless you, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All good. Um, I know that you were. I believe we're still lucky enough to, to be able to play some shows over the summer. What was that kind of like, especially with the, the last 12 months of what we've all been going through? Firstly, it was surreal <laughs> to be on stage again. <laughs> I kind of, you know, you almost feel like you lose your mojo going back up and you get nervous again. I remember the first, the first one back, it was in Wollongong. So that was kind of like an old, but kind of hometown show for me. And um, I remember half the time, I was just cracking jokes. I, I felt like half of it was a comedy skit. I was so nervous. I was just making weird <laughs> jokes. But, um, yeah, so it was very surreal. It was very different as well because everyone was seated. But I kind of took it to the approach of like, well, I'm lucky enough that I'm able to go back to my roots and just strip it back to me being solo and acoustic. So I just kind of did that. I didn't take my band um, mainly as well because, you know, we didn't last year was a year. We, none of us made any money. So to be able to afford to take all my mates and that out that I love having on stage, I just, it didn't seem like doable at all. So I just decided to just go myself, just have a, you know, strip it back. It's something as well that I was like, I don't know when I'll do an acoustic tour again. So I said, this is going to be a little moment that we can remember COVID by. Because at first as well, I didn't want to tour. I made it a rule for myself when COVID hit. I mean, we all didn't know. We still don't know how long it's going to be around. So I was like, nah, I'm just going to like not do anything in this time. I don't want to play shows if there's like 10 people only allowed to be there and stuff. But then it kind of, you know, on the other side of that, when I did it, I was like, nah, this is special, you know, because in such a weird low time of 
the world's life right now. That was one of the highlights of it. Like I got to go meet these people and, you know, the people that support me in my music, they keep me alive. They keep me driven and like going every day. So it's like that was like the biggest kick to be able to finish off such a shit year with such a high was just the biggest blessing, you know. So, yeah, it was very surreal, very surreal. Yeah, of course. I can only imagine. Um, are there any shows planned around the the tour in May? Yeah, they're short. Oh, sorry, the album in May. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually, we've just um, booked an album tour that we're going to be releasing in the coming weeks, um, but we're going to be going at every single city in this country. So it's going to be a big one. It's going to be also going to be very different because of, the all the COVID regulations and that like virtually each show has a different kind of limit to what we can and can't do so it's kind of uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all flows I'm excited I'm nervous in that regards I just hope that most places can stand to some degree because this new album's very let's dance let's cry but let's Let's specifically dance and cry. So I just hope, yeah, we can <laughs> we can dance while we're doing it. <laughs> that sounds good. It is. Um, I imagine logistically when you kind of look at it as so many different rules for so many different cities that it does kind of become a bit of a headache. So it's nice that you can kind of focus on the, the positives of of that. Yeah, I feel like you've got to. You know, like I mean, I'm not I'm not the most well, most positive person, you know, or anything like that, but. In these times and especially with things like this, you've just got to be as positive and optimistic about it as you can, you know, because hopefully this vaccine thing's working and whatever, we're doing the right thing at the moment. And, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have our festivals back at some scale of normal, like normal, sorry. Um, But, yeah, you just don't know. So, as I said, it's just I'd rather be looking at it like, let's go. I'm excited for it. You know, the reality is, is we've all got, you wake up every day looking at your emails, making sure that nothing's about to be rescheduled or be canceled. So that is the reality, but you know, we're, the whole world's in it, you know, and I'm, we're all struggling. We're all wigging out about whatever this is. So I've just got to be for me and my sanity. I've just got to be a bit positive. Of course, of course. I think that's all the best way to be. Um, Tyne, are you happy to talk about the playlist? I sure am. I sure am. Thank you. We've got a few classic hacks on here. We've got the Doobie Brothers. We've got Neil Young, Peter Gabriel. Uh, I'm curious because you're only a, a young gentleman yourself. Um, where did your love for these kind of acts come from? Again, this all all stems from my family. I was very fortunate enough, you know, like as a, I am young, but I did grow up before like having MP3 play or oh, not MP3 players, but oh yeah, yeah, MP3 players because we only had like CD Walkmans and that when I was first ever walking around with something on my ears. Um, but at <laughs> home, like it was mum and dad, like. All they listened to was the old classics. Like we didn't have just the radio on playing whatever's trending. It was just the classics. So like even now when I'm with my friends and that, people will be out because I can sing word for word some of these songs that people are, I've never heard this. It's just some old like 1940s <laughs> or 50s song that's like just a classic in my eyes and that. But um, yeah, that was very, very much my, my like childhood was just growing up with that. And also like, 
in dad's kind of later years, he like started these kind of um, cabaret shows and things like that, that toured and everything. And they were just full of like all the classics. So there was times where I'd join him on them and just go watch or whatever, or jump up for one. And so we had to make sure we knew every song because dad was very picky and he wanted it done right. So (laughs) it was always making sure we learned them. But then, you know, even in just car trips and that, you know, we always put on the classics and just listen to that. So, and I still do. I don't listen to that much new music anymore. I'm still pretty set in my ways. (laughs) That's very fair. I understand that uh, quite a bit. Um, Some of the newer acts that you've included on the playlist, um, there's Don't Want to Fight by Alabama Shakes. Where did um where did this song come from for you, or what what makes you uh what do you love about this song? I love her voice is just one of the, my favorite voices in the world. Um, I remember the first time I heard it, I just stopped. I remember stopping in my tracks. I heard this song itself, um, and I just that like there's this part where she just goes like just at, right at the beginning. It's like she's inhaling as well. I probably made that sound really bad as well, by the way, but she's doing this kind of inhale. It's like she's smoking a cigarette and kind of screaming at the same time. And then that boom, it just kicks straight into the, like the verse. And that just got me from the get go. And now like I listen to just Alabama shakes on repeat all the time. I just love them. That record is particularly, um, oh, dude, good. Yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> you also had uh, Alex Leahy and Gordy with uh, Dinos. Dinos, yeah. That um, that's just like that's a new song I've been hearing heaps on the radio. Um, but I remember the day it came out, it popped up on my Spotify, and I love Alex Leahy and Gordy both very much as songwriters and people. And then to see them together on a song, the fact that they are in a relationship, and then they came out with this song that's so wholesome, I was like, boom. This is just just brought joy to my life, um, and I just listen to it twenty four seven. Like I can sing it word for word, <laughs> but I just as I don't know. I'm I'm not as I'm not a like trained musician, so I can't you know dissect a song and say all these things. But just emotionally, it takes me to exactly where I want to be, but in a, in the best place. It's so good. I just love it. <laughs> They're both fantastic songwriters uh, separately. And so the fact that they were able to make it work together musically is yeah. quite impressive. It's a good track. Very much, yeah. Um, the last one I wanted to chat about was The Right Reasons by Carla uh, Geneve. That's a very special song. Um, it kind of, that song really gives me like a Fleetwood Mac dreams kind of feel at certain parts in it, like the bass especially and stuff. Um, but Carla Geneve, I think she's, by far one of Australia's greatest songwriters and so underrated. I can't wait. I feel like it's coming. Like I'm going to say, and I hope I've got this, well, I will have this as evidence, but her, like she's on the cusp of something very special. And I'm like, you know, I feel like if COVID hadn't hit, there would have been so many opportunities that would have already come her way. But just listening to song after song after song of hers, like I remember the first time I heard of hers was um, listening and that, and then 2001, like they were the first two that I started listening to. And I was just like, wow, wow. Like, I've never seen her live. That's my biggest thing. And that's been the pain. Like I've had so many times over the last like year or so where I've seen her, she's going to be playing somewhere, but then I've been booked and then COVID hit. So there's nothing going on. So I can't wait. I feel like she's coming over this way in the next few months. So I'm going to definitely go see her. But um, yeah, she's just, she's, 
like class. She's just class. The way she writes music and um, the deliverance on her approach and her guitar playing too is just, it's so fresh. Big fan. I feel like um, you're 100% right in terms of it. Uh, her name seems to kind of just at the moment just be almost everywhere without being everywhere. I think it's right on the cusp yeah. of about to be getting a big. That's it. Yeah. Like I just, I'm so excited to see what's coming. Like I'm so excited. Her record <laughs> comes out, I feel like next month or something too, her debut album. So, you know, it's going to be a good month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I was just going to say, I'm just itching to see her live. <laughs> Fingers crossed with no uh, touchwood, um, yeah, touch COVID <laughs> issues. Um, you'll be able to see her next month. Ah, oh, good. I can't wait. Tyne, um, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. I do appreciate thank it. And thank you for being on the podcast. Ah, oh, thank you, Simon. I really appreciate it a lot. Thank you. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Tyne James Organ. Sunday Suit is out now on all streaming platforms. We've left links in the show notes if you'd like to listen to the track or pre-order the forthcoming record, Necessary Evil. We also want to give a huge shout out to Susie at Positive Feedback for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of Tyne's picks. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday morning with guest playlists streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.